Well, good morning, everybody, and praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here or you repeat, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and I'm here to preach the Word of God to you today, and I'm not here to entertain you. If you're here to be entertained, I'm not the man. I'm here to teach you the Word of God. You're supposed to be in church to focus on the Lord, to worship the Lord, to continue to walk with the Lord, and to continue to walk with the Lord in a better and stronger way, not just to Go through the motions, but to do it better, better, better every single solitary day. Just like at your job. You know, when you go to work at your job and when you become a Christian, it's kind of the same thing. God hires you on to be a Christian and like you get hired on at your job. And so at your job, you just don't want to be mediocre. If you're a real Christian, you shouldn't want to be mediocre. You want to do the best job you can. Well, for God, we want to do the best job we can. And what does that entail? Well, that entails us learning his word more and following his word more and being more obedient to his word and to his commands. So that's one of the reasons why we come to church. Should be the main reason why we come to church. Anyway, if we uh, we always start with a word of prayer because we ask God to help us understand, and of course we need God to help us do the things that His Word tells us to do. So if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord God, we uh, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Lord, we thank you for oh, all your goodness. Lord God, for it is the goodness of God, it is your goodness, Lord God, that leads men to repentance, Lord God. And we know that, Lord, you, you love us, and we know, Lord, that you love all mankind, and we know, Lord God, what, I hope we know, Lord God, what it takes, Lord God, to, to please you, Lord God, after we come to you, Lord. You, you want our lives solely to be worshiping you, Lord. You want, us, you want our lives solely, Lord God, to be dedicated unto you, Lord God, and, and nothing else. You want nothing else, Lord. You, you gave up your life on the cross, Lord. You, you want our lives fully and totally, Lord God, until the day we die, Lord, if we're yours. Or if we're not yours, Lord, that's what you want to begin to be yours. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And we just ask that you'd help us. As I just said before, <clears throat> I started praying, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to understand your word. And then, Lord, after we understand your word, Lord God, I pray that you'd help us to do your word. For, Lord, it is the doer of the word that is blessed, Lord God, not the hearer of the word only. So, Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you. We ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5. I'll give you a moment to get there in your Bibles if you're not there already. Again, that's Acts chapter 16 verses 1 through 5. Uh, the title of our brand new sermon today is His Grand Rule of Love. His Grand Rule of Love. So I hope you're all there. Again, Acts 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll study them, and we'll talk about them. The Bible says this, Then he, and that'd be Paul, came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, for his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now remember now, last week we read about how much Paul loved the 
church, right? And not only the church as a building, but of course he loved those in the church. And this was the primary thrust of last week's message or sermon. And in the grand scope of us looking at how just how much Paul loved God's church and served God's literal organized church, we read of the unfortunate split of two of the most passionate apostles that have ever lived to date, and that would be Paul and Barnabas. On a new journey that God inspired Paul to go on, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, who had abandoned he and Paul in Pamplona, and Paul said, no way, Jose! And sadly, as a result, they could not compromise. Paul and Barnabas, they, they couldn't see eye to eye. And, and of course, Barnabas didn't listen to wise counsel, and what happened is, as I said, they split up. Barnabas taking John Mark, Paul taking Silas. And I know this broke God's heart, because God is a God of reconciliation. And as that last section of scripture told us, the church didn't agree with Barnabas taking John, the wise counsel, because remember, they blessed Paul and Silas's journey while they did not bless uh, Barnabas and John Mark's journey. Today we open up with God showing us whose side he was on, whose, whose decision, what did he think of both Paul and both Barnabas's decision. Look at verse 1 again. Then he, that'd be Paul, remember they're still on their, they're going on their journey, came to Derby and Lystra, and behold a certain disciple is there named Timothy, a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Now outside of the dominant idea of that verse, we see there and in the rest of the whole book of Acts, from this point on to the very last verse of S, the less dominant idea, the idea being that we see that God gave inspiration to Luke to both only follow and only write about Paul from this point on. As I reminded you last week, I'm going to remind you again this week, the book of Acts never mentions Barnabas' name again of him working with Paul, and that would be the rest of the entire book, which means that if God ordained Luke to stay with and only write about Paul, then we see that God, of course, was blessing Paul's journey. Now, I'm sure Barnabas had come to repentance at some point. I don't think that this decision to take John Mark destroyed his relationship with God, but I'm saying, you know, when you're looking at, hey, I want to be in the center of God's will. Well, in the center of God's will, we see that Paul was in the center of God's will because this is where God had his anointing. God has had his anointing on Paul and those whom he grabbed on the way, and Barnabas could have been a part of that. But instead, Barnabas chose the path of the unwise counsel, and he chose to to take the man along that wasn't the one that was dedicated totally to God in that time. And he, and, and he didn't want to go through the steps also either to get back right. He just wanted to, you know, as I, as I keep saying week after week, trust is an earned thing. Trust is, shouldn't be given. And I teach this within my family too. Trust needs to be earned, not just given. So anyway, uh, that was the like kind of the less dominant idea. So you can have that in your mind as we go on. Hey, what happened to Barnabas? Anyway, well, yeah, Barnabas, he is no more. Uh, on to the dominant idea of that verse. We just read that Paul went back to Derby in Lystra, which were cities that he and Barnabas had preached the gospel in and planted churches in, right? And this is what he and Silas were now going back to do. The first verse just told us that Paul, uh, Silas would have been there as a helper, but Luke didn't record his name. Why? 
Well, how many times did Luke record uh, Barnabas's name? Not every single time they went somewhere. And how many times did Luke record his own name? Well, how do we never read of Luke ever recording? He just says, we, as you read on in the book of Acts, you can start reading on and say, oh, then we went here and we went there. Who's the we? Oh, we don't know who the we is because he doesn't say. Well, anyway, unless usually outside of the dominant one of Paul doing the majority of the things for God, unless, like, for instance, when Barnabas's name was mentioned, Barnabas did something that was extraordinary. You know, he, he actually did something that was noteworthy for Luke to write. So, so we only read here Paul and then Silas there. And as Paul and Silas are there, Paul wants to pick up another travel companion. He, he wants to try again, right? He, he's, well, he's not willing, he's not closed off toward a helper, but he was just closed off for John Mark. This new travel companion, a disciple of Jesus Christ by the name of Timothy. This is the same Timothy that Paul writes the epistles of First and Second Timothy to, uh, that he places in the church of Ephesus. Again, epistles First and Second Timothy. Uh, Luke also tells us in this verse that Timothy's mother was a believing Jewish woman, so a Christian believing Jewish woman. Her name, Second Timothy one five, was Eunice. His father was Greek. We don't get his name. Uh, this information will be significant as we continue on in our section today. Luke follows all that he said of the disciple Timothy by then saying this. Look at verse 2 again. He was spoken well of, or he was well spoken of, excuse me, by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. This just means that he was a mighty man for God and Christ because of all because all those around him gave testimony of him being that way. If you consider yourself a Christian today, do you ever wonder what other true Christians and even those that aren't saved around you, what they think of you, what they would say about you? You see, anybody can boast about their own selves, right? Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that, and oh, I've done this. But it's a completely different honor and respect when others boast about you. And this is what we see here in this verse. Paul wanted to take him, but it was because, look, at he had a... He, he, was a servant of the Most High God. He loved Jesus Christ, and all those around him knew it. And here, Timothy gets the ultimate honor of his amazing walk with God and Christ by getting praise and honor from those that are his peers. Last week, out of the blue, I was studying for my sermon in the break room, and as I was studying for my sermon, I had a co-worker that walked up, and she started talking to me a little bit. Now, I've got my Bible sitting over to the side, and I've got my computer on, but I mean, you know, you can kind of put two and two together, but maybe she didn't. But as we were talking for a few minutes and she, she had said, oh, you know, I mentioned the fact that I was setting up this week's sermon. I was writing, I was going through the Bible, I was doing searches and going through the online Bible and stuff like that and setting up this message, like the things we talked about so far. And then when I made that mention to her, she, she said, oh, wow. And, and this is what really blew me away. And this is what, when I got to this part in a section in this, in this, in this, sermon, I thought, wow, that just happened to me. She said this, well, I know you loved Jesus, or I know you love Jesus, but I didn't know that you were a pastor. It didn't, at that moment, I didn't even dawn on me. I was like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we have it out of our house, you know, da, 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 you know I've been doing it for this amount of time, da, 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 you know, and then later on, as I'm working on this message, I was like, wait a minute, Lord, 
She just out of the blue, she, oh, I know you love Jesus. That I got the same kind of testimony given about me as Timothy did here by those in the region. I didn't even know it. But praise God, she saw that I love Jesus just by the way I live my life. I don't go around preaching to everybody individually. Oh, do you know Jesus? Oh, let's come to Jesus. Let's have a come Jesus moment. I don't, I don't do all that. I, I live my life by example. And obviously she noticed it. I, I was honored. Anyway, I just, if you're a Christian and you do love Jesus, I, I hope you do live for him like you say you do. And those around you see it and that they would give that same testimony of you. This is the testimony that the Bible says that Christians should have amongst the world and Timothy had that kind of relationship that kind of testimony upon all those that were around him that knew him anyway getting back to our verses and getting back to the main idea of today's message look at verse 3 Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took him and he circumcised him now I, I must make a, a a few notes here because before I'm, I know I stopped like right in the middle of the verse but but if, if you just think I, I don't see Timothy. Now, now, I could be wrong, but, but knowing what the Bible says, that not a younger man, not a, not a young, young, young man should be a pastor. But remember, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to be the pastor, as I just mentioned earlier. And 1 Timothy, he, we, that, that's recorded. And so I think of Timothy here, maybe in his 20s, maybe in his even 30s. And now remember, his dad was Greek, so he didn't have him uh, circumcised, and we'll get to that in a minute. But So think of Timothy being in his 20s, mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s maybe he's here, and it just says here that Paul wanted to have him go with him, on his, on, with him, and that would be on his journey, and that he took him and circumcised him. It, it does not say that he took him and had him circumcised. Now, now that means something. See, the way things are written to me, that means something when God says things to me here. Paul took him and circumcised him. That means that I read that to mean that Paul literally by his own hand circumcised him. Now, I don't have to get graphic here. I think everybody knows what it means to be circumcised. For everybody that's probably listening to me has had a boy and they, you know, in the in the thing, and that's just kind of what we do in our modern age. It's not having to do anything with God or anything. It's just kind of a thing people do nowadays. They have their boys circumcised. Well, well, imagine if pastors did this today with those that were not circumcised and it turned to Jesus Christ and then joined the church today, right? Ouch, crazy weird. I, I'd say, uh, and I'd say this, I, I think I'm thankful that our culture has changed a whole bunch since then. And I thank God for that because I wouldn't, uh, I don't think I'd be up to circumcising anybody that come into the church and wanted to turn to the Lord if they'd be circumcised. I'd be like, oh, you're not circumcised? You want to be all right? Let's go see Dr. So-and-so. I don't think I'd do that myself. Anyway, anyway moving on, rest of verse 3. I just thought that was an interesting note that God showed me there. So Paul circumcises Timothy. Look at rest of verse 3. Because of the Jews that were in that region, that's huge. That's very huge. That's where we're going to be pretty much... We're going to be on that for a while now, for they all knew his father was Greek. So, because Timothy had a wonderful report card from his peers of his awesome walk with God in Christ, Paul wanted him to come along uh, on his and Silas's trip to encourage all the churches. As while here, Timothy had a great report card with those that are around. Unlike John Mark, Paul said, man... 
he's a man of God. He is a strong man of God. He's a man of God that I want next to me fighting this battle for me. So he said, come on, man. Come on, come on, come on. But, and, and this is a huge but, huge, huge but. There was a huge problem with Timothy. Remember our section, our section of scriptures just tells us here that his mother Eunice, who was Jewish, and when his father was Greek, and because his father was Greek, fathers usually being in charge of the households, Timothy's Greek father didn't get him circumcised when he was born because being circumcised wasn't really a thing that anybody did on earth except for who? Well, the Jews. This was a sign of God's old covenant with the Jews only. As I said, I mean, here in America, pretty much everybody gets, every boy gets circumcised. That's generally what people do just because that's kind of our culture. We found it to be a, a more sanitary, more clean thing. It's men can take care of themselves better that way. But here back in this day, circumcision was not just something that everybody did. This is, this was a Jewish only thing. So why was it a problem to Paul that Timothy wasn't circumcised. Well, as Luke just told us, there were Jews in the region, and not only the region, we're talking the region, we're talking the Christian churches in that region, and Paul and Timothy were, that, were, that I should say, Paul and Timothy were heading into, that were going to have a problem with it. Well, why would it have mattered to the Jews and the region and the churches that they were going to go visit that Timothy wasn't circumcised? Well, if Paul took Timothy along, those in that region and those in the churches knew that his mother was Jewish, which, by the way, in case you didn't know this, according to the more modern, I mean, I don't know I read this in the Bible, but by more of the modern Jewish ways, by the Talmudic writings, he was considered Jewish as well. If the mother was Jewish, then the son and the daughter were Jewish. If the dad was Jewish and the mother was not Jewish, then that meant that the kids weren't Jewish. And that's just the way it was. That's, that's what they did. And so they would have considered him an outcast and not Jewish at all if he wasn't circumcised because Jews were supposed to be circumcised. This is one of God's rules for his kids, the Jews. Uh, that huge rule that God and the Jews, uh, that they followed then and even still today, Genesis 17, 9 through 14 Listen to what God says. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. That would be the male's penis. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Verse 14, here's the problem. Here's the problem with Paul. Here's the problem with Timothy. Here's the problem with the Jews. Verse 14. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So you see, under the old covenant, God didn't play around with his Jews, right? 
he said that if a Jewish male is not circumcised, or even a male that was bought as a servant and that was bought by the Jewish man in the household that was in his household, if he was not circumcised, they had broken his covenant and that person was to be cut off from the Jewish nation of people. So to mean that the Jews, uh, to a Jew, that person was not to consider that man Jewish at all. Basically, he was an outcast. Ouch. And you see, Paul wanted to avoid this controversy with the Jews in the region and the churches. We'll say he wanted to make them happy. For you see, if had they which they knew his father was Greek, they knew his mom was Jewish, they knew that he wasn't going to be circumcised. And here Paul comes along, the Jew a Jew, the, the Christian leader of the Jews, of the Gentiles, and so on and so forth. And now he's got a Jewish man with him. And now this Jewish man is not circumcised. So the, the Jews said, nope, he's done. Why would he have wanted to do this? Well, Paul wanted to have a successful trip with both Silas and Timothy along, going to those churches in that region and evangelizing the lost. And it would have been a huge stumbling block to the Jews that they were going to go try to reach out to because Timothy and his dad had broken God's covenant of not being circumcised. The, uh, the Jews they were going to reach out to that were there would not have accepted Paul's, Silas's, and Timothy's witness and encouragement because he wasn't circumcised. Remember, that one, everlasting covenant, that one is to be cast out forever. He is done. So Timothy was supposed to be outcast, so the Jews would not have accepted Timothy. And if those you're going to talk to, to minister to, and evangelize to won't accept the minister, the one that's ministering, like Timothy would have been ministering because of something like this issue, then the trip would have been a waste of time. You know, been no sense that they would have even gone at all. No, nobody would have been reached. Nobody would have, would have been encouraged. And, and, and that's not what Paul wanted. The worst part of all, God would have lost. You see, God would have lost. Paul loved God. Paul loved Christ. And he didn't want God to lose. And, and God loves people. He wants people to be saved. And he wants people to be encouraged in him. And if God loses, everybody loses, right? So from the outside here, looking in at the intent of Paul's heart, I, I can understand why Paul did what he did. And, and on the outside, it, it's really commendable. Paul wanted to be uh, successful in ministering to those in that region that were Jewish and to all, really, but especially to the Jews. And that's all well and good looking at the situation from the outside. But, again, we have a huge but, a huge problem when we go a little deeper, uh, which takes us into the main part of the message. That was just a kind of a prelude into the bigger thrust here, uh, looking at this from the inside of things and at the bigger picture of the total New Testament in the book of Acts, especially the chapter 15 that we just studied over the last couple weeks, we really see that we have a huge scriptural quandary or, or a huge dilemma or a huge problem, if just to make it very simple. Why is this a huge problem? Well, just think about what Paul just did. Paul was going on a trip finds Timothy, who is Jewish by birth because his mom was Jewish. He takes him and he must get him circumcised for the Jews in that region. Now, now again, think about all that we've been going through as a, you know, in the scriptures as a church here, week by week, as I study the verse, verse by verse, week by week. Considering all that we just read and studied, Paul is being a hypocrite for what he just did with Timothy. 
because he did it just for the Jews in the region or in the churches that they were traveling to. Why does this make him a hypocrite? Well, in case you haven't been listening to our, our messages our, up to this point, you see this topic is exactly what he argued against those false prophets that came to Antioch from Jerusalem, claiming to be true Christian disciples. Acts 15.2, they taught, these devils that came into this church in Antioch taught, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And the leaders in the church in Antioch sent Paul and other brothers to Jerusalem to consult with the original apostles about this matter because Paul argued that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was enough for salvation for mankind. So Christ's sacrifice on the cross was enough to make people uh, allow people to come before God perfect. We were, we were just talking about it in communion here as a church, how, how before Christ there was a, there was a veil and, and men couldn't go, only one man once a year could go in behind the veil. And, and yet after the cross, after Christ died, the veil was torn in two, so we read in the New Testament, which means that God was saying through Christ's blood, all men could come to him, sanctified and pure in Christ. Yet, here, these guys were trying to bring these devils were trying to bring a works-based salvation back into the church, or I should say, into the Gentiles' lives. And yet, here in Acts 16:3, Paul takes Timothy to get him circumcised. What? To make the Jews, especially in the churches, happy or satisfied. Yet, circumcision didn't and still doesn't matter in salvation. Again, as I said earlier, being circumcised as a male is a much better way to take care of yourself as a man, cleanliness-wise, but it doesn't matter in salvation. It doesn't matter to the Jews anymore. That was under the old covenant. Christ brought a new covenant in his blood, which means that we're no longer under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant in Christ's blood. Consider what Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26 and 29 on the subject. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't say through a circumcision of Jesus Christ. As long as you're circumcised and you're flesh, your foreskin, then you're considered sons of God. No, he says you are all sons of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither, now he goes on, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Circumcision is gone as a way to have a covenant with God. Now the Bible talks about a circumcision of the heart, not a circumcision of the foreskin of the flesh. Now, if all those who come to the true saving faith in Christ are one, which is what the Bible said, what Paul just said, what the whole New Testament talks about, and there's no longer such a thing as a Jew or a Greek or a slave or a free or as far as the flesh goes, as far as salvation goes, right? Then what in the world did it matter if Timothy was circumcised according to the old covenant that, made, that God made with the Jews? It shouldn't have mattered and really doesn't matter under the new covenant at all, period, the end. Jesus Christ said in John 6, the, 6, the Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So therefore, with Christ's sacrifice in mind in the context of the New Testament, Jesus Christ even being 
Jesus Christ even uh, chastised the religious leaders, the religious Jews, because remember in Matthew 3, they thought they were right with God because of their circumcision, because they were children of Abraham. And yet he told them, Matthew 3, he told them that if God wanted to, he could make kids from Abraham out of the rocks of the ground. So you see, circumcision now is nothing. According to the New Testament and on a new covenant in Christ, whether someone is circumcised or not circumcised, it's not an issue. It's a non-issue. It doesn't even matter. It's the message of the cross. It's not the message of whether I get my foreskin circumcised. It's the message of the cross. It's what Christ did for us. And what Paul does here with Timothy really doesn't make sense when you read the next verse too. Look at verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. After that verse, you should be going, huh? You should be scratching your head. You be, oh, what? What? They, they just went through all this, and they gave him the, the, the letters, the, or the letter, the, the decree. Well, in case you don't know, maybe you weren't with us, why should you be scratching your head? Well, the whole reason Paul circumcised Timothy in the first place was so that Timothy, who was considered a Jew because his mother was Jewish, who, who was not circumcised, would not offend the Jews in the region or the churches they were going to minister to. So that they wouldn't be offended by him not being circumcised. They wouldn't turn away from the message of Jesus Christ and Paul's encouragement to them. And that's why Paul didn't, he didn't want that to happen because he loved them, right? Now think, Paul circumcises Timothy, then he and Silas and Timothy go through the region to all the churches that he and Barnabas had planted, delivering to them then what? the teachings that the decrees of the original apostles made that they had just decreed. Why, why does this make you scratch your head? The decrees that Paul and Silas and the newly circumcised Timothy were giving them abolished the idea that circumcision and the keeping of the law of God had anything to do with people's salvation. What? You were, we're going to take Timothy, we're going to circumcise him, but yet now we're going to go teach that that circumcision that you have is nothing. Now it's Christ alone. What? In essence, the decree was telling all the Gentiles that they didn't have to get circumcised to be saved. And if all are one in Christ, which is what the Bible says after they come to the true saving faith of Jesus Christ, uh, which they are because the Bible says so, then that means that as far as circumcision goes, even by for the Jew by birth, they didn't have to be circumcised either to be right with God because God's covenant is now only in Christ and not in the circumcision or in the law of Moses. That, that was a lot. That was a lot to say. But remember the decrees. It's very simple. Acts 15, 24 through 29. They write this. The apostles write this. Think of what they say. And think Paul circumcises what they wasn't. What? Acts 15, 24 through 29. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Remember, these, these devils that went out, we don't sponsor them. I talked about this a week or two ago. Verse 25, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you uh, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things, that you abstain from uh, things offered by, to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, you do well. So the guys that came to you and said the circumcision was necessary for you to be right with God, they're out. 
We don't approve of them. Who we approve of is we approve of these guys, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Judas. These are guys that we approve of. And these guys are going to tell you now that circumcision is no longer necessary. Yet now thinking again about what Paul did with Timothy and getting him circumcised because of the Jews in the region and the churches that they were going to, this covenant of the law of Moses circumcision is outdated and not meant to be kept for being or becoming right with God Almighty because now anyone and everyone becomes right with God through and only through Jesus Christ and the blood of his sacrifice. Uh, for, so from this point, or from this time with Paul and even until today, only some, only even just a few, some of the total of the Old Testament, Old Covenant laws are even good as moral laws and codes for Jesus Christ's followers to keep. We're not sacrificing animals anymore. We're not stoning people that don't believe in us. We're not, we're not going to take our kid out and stone him because he blasphemes God's name or speaks against God's name. These are things that the New Testament says no more to. We follow only the Old Covenant Old Testament laws as a good moral code that the New Testament backs up, not all of them. And remember Acts 15, Paul was dead set against bringing the yoke of the bondage of the keeping of the law of Moses and circumcision on the Gentiles. That remember, as Peter said, Acts 15, 10, not even their ancient Jewish forefathers, nor they were able to keep. So basically on the surface, Paul here taking Timothy was a real big fat hypocrite. He took him to get circumcised and then delivered to all the Jews in the region that circumcision was no longer important. Wow. Timothy was perfectly okay in God's eyes without being circumcised, same as any Gentile was okay in God's eyes without circumcision. So Paul, again, is being a terrible hypocrite here. And then when you consider what he wrote in Galatians 2 about him and Peter, he becomes a huge, super terrible, awful sinner hypocrite because look at what he blasts Peter for in Galatians 2, 11 through 16. Listen to this. You may remember the account. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul writes, I withstood him to his face. Listen, because he was to blame. For before certain Jewish men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Paul even calls them hypocrites, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw it, here's Paul, I saw it, I'm the defender of the faith, no more circumcision, no more Old Testament covenant, this is Christ only, verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, the cross, remember I said the cross, it's all about the cross now, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, so a man's not saved by the law or by his circumcision, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. In a nutshell, Paul just said to Tim, or Paul just said to, to Peter, excuse me, you, you were accepting of the Gentiles. You saw that God saved the Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't circumcised, yet you, being a Jew, ate with the Gentiles. You see, before in the Old Testament, on, on the, kind of the old peoples of the Jews, the Jews had said, don't, you are not allowed as godly people to eat with these sinner Gentiles. 
So Peter was okay. He, 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 saw, he saw the Gentiles getting saved. He saw that they weren't circumcised. He saw God accepted them in Christ. And so he started being a normal person, accepting them like he would have accepted any other Jew that he would eat with, right? Because there's no, no Jew, nor Gentile, or slave, nor free, right? But yet when the Jews, who also believed in Christ... But yet they were kind of stuck on the stupid way of the circumcision and the Old Testament covenant. You know, kind of they hadn't come out of that all just yet. Peter played the hypocrite. And then basically when the Jews came, he was like, oh, Gentiles, sorry, you're not important to me. I, I, I have to go over here and, and eat with these Jews here because we'll see you're, you're Gentiles. You're not a Jew and I'm not supposed to eat with you. He, he didn't want to make the Jews unhappy because they saw him eating with the Gentiles. He wanted to avoid that. Well, why was this a problem? Well, this is a problem. Well, you see, the Gentiles, they're seeing this, and they're going, well, wait a minute. He loved us before they came, and now he doesn't love us. This could have easily made the Gentiles go, well, you know what? I think we need to be circumcised. Because if we were circumcised, then he'd eat with us in front of all his other friends, and then this could have been a stumbling block. Him. So Paul sees it and he's like, no. That's why he said it in front of them all. He's like, no, 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 Peter, you are wrong. Hey, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. We're all free in Christ Jesus. There's no Gentile here. There's no Jew here. There's child of God here. And if there's only child of God here, then hey, we can eat with each other. You know, who are you trying to make happy? Now, thinking again now, what Paul said to Peter here, and yet what Paul does with Timothy here, Paul is in, it looks like, seems like he is in the same boat that, that uh, Peter was back in Galatians when he called him out in, in Antioch in the church there. What Paul does here is really no different, yet Paul, he's a hypocrite just like what Peter did. But that's what it seems to be. Does really seem to be intensely controversial. And I know it does seem that way. But without looking at the whole council and everything that he did, we got to be careful that we say that Paul was a big fat sinner hypocrite here. Why do I say that? Well, the answer to the question what was paul being a hypocrite was paul playing the hypocrite with timothy here before the gentiles before the jews who were in the region who were in the churches i say no and there's a reason why i say no i say no because of the rule that i talked about the actual title of the sermon his grand rule of love you see, first of all, I don't think Paul was being a hypocrite with Timothy because in circumcising him, he wasn't playing a hypocrite. It was not hypocrisy like what Peter did with the Jews who came to Antioch because when Peter did, played his hypocrisy, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. What did he do? He turned his back on the Gentiles and he said, I'm going to go with the Jews only. I'm turning my back. I'm leaving you. What Paul does when he circumcises Timothy here, he doesn't shun the Gentiles nor the Jews. And we know that by our last verse of today, verse 5. Look at it. Read verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now remember, these churches were full of both Gentiles and and full of both, well, I should say Jews and Gentiles. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy go through all the churches with the apostles' letter, 
completely abolishing the old covenant law of Moses and circumcision and everything, all that. And all the churches were strengthened in the faith and people were being added to the churches as well. And that churches, again, that strengthening of those churches would have meant the Jews and Gentiles all in one. And I would also add the, the fact that there were both Jews and Gentiles being added to the church as well. Paul and Timothy didn't ignore the Gentiles with Timothy's <laughs> circumcision. That didn't mean that they turned away from them. Paul circumcised Timothy because of his grand rule of love to help everyone in those churches be strengthened, not just the Jews. He never scorned or turned away from the Jews, but it sure seemed like he did. Unlike when the Jews came to Antioch, Peter ignored the Gentiles, showing them that they weren't as important as Jewish brother in Jesus Christ. And again, as I said before, it could have made the Gentiles stumble. Uh, this is what the Jews who didn't know and don't know Jesus Christ thought of that. They thought, well, if you're not circumcised, you're really not as good as us. They kind of were stuck in elitism. There's, some, there's a couple groups of so-called Christianity today that believe that this garbage of elitism too. Anyway, uh, so what's Paul's grand rule of love that I keep speaking about here today? Uh, the rule, grand rule of love that... that made him not a hypocrite, that, that made him a man of love, a man of God, a man of, of the church, a man of, of God's heart and his interests. Well, Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians 9, and when, and when he was speaking of his freedom in Christ as he was saved by grace through faith and not through circumcision and not by the law. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. He says this, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. I don't know if you see where we're going here. Paul's like, hey, I'm not bound by any man, but you know what? I'm going to serve all men so that what? Hey, I can help people be one to Christ. Verse 20, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Now, we just talked about how the law doesn't matter in salvation, yet Paul says, my grand rule of love is, if i got to become like them to win them for Christ, then I'm going to do that. Verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as the weak, that I might win the weak. And here's the Huge rule, his huge grand rule of love. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Verse 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. Did you catch the grand rule of love there? Because it's a doozy. Paul is saying there that he cares and loves so much the people that are without Christ that he was willing to, is willing to, was willing to, whatever however tense you want to put it, in his personality, in his mannerisms, and even the way he looks, he was willing to become like others, even going among them. So the Jews who were stuck and thinking they needed to be keeping the law of God and be circumcised to be right with God, even after they were saved in Christ, he was going to go in them, amongst them, with the circumcised Timothy. Not to shun the Gentiles and be a hypocrite, but so that Timothy, being circumcised, wouldn't have been a stumbling block and a non-issue 
to them so he could preach Jesus Christ alone to them and deliver to them the decrees by which they needed to say, hey, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, hey, it's a good moral law, but you know what? That's not how we're saved. Christ is enough. Notice in this section that after Paul circumcised Timothy, he took him, and not one Jew was offended by him, and they didn't have a problem with him. And then after Paul had had his way into their hearts, hey, look, we're just Jews. Hey, we love God. We're just, see, you know, we're Jews. Our mom's Jewish. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're Jews. Then he gives them the truth of Christ alone. No law of Moses, no circumcision needed with the decrees of the letter that was sent from the apostles. Had Timothy not been circumcised, had that been an issue to the Jews, then they really, Paul and Timothy would have come in, they would have been like, well, you're circumcised? Well, no, I'm, you know, they would have turned them off, and that even could have caused them to leave the faith. And Paul speaks about that as well too. He says, although I'm free in Christ, he speaks about it in 1 Corinthians also as well, he says, although I'm free in Christ, least anything I do be a stumbling block to somebody else, I, I won't do it. Like we all know the Bible says not to get drunk on wine. And so that means that we can have a little bit of alcoholic beverage as Christians. But what the Bible forbids is being drunk on wine. But what Paul said there, what kind of like he practiced here, another aspect of the huge rule of his golden law here, his love, law of love, is that let's say you were going out to eat and you had a luncheon date with an, with an alcoholic, somebody that used to be an alcoholic. Or, or they would say an alcoholic. I'd say somebody used to be. And, and let's say you were sitting down eating and this man hadn't had a drink in 20 years and you ordered a beer. Now it's in within your liberty of Christ to have that beer, yet could having that beer make that guy who hasn't had a drink in 20 years, could that make him stumble back into alcoholism? You better believe it. So therefore, kind of the other aspect of the grand rule of love here is that Paul wasn't going to let Timothy's not being circumcised be a stumbling block to the Jews that were there that thought, hey, all Jews need to be circumcised before they really received the idea that circumcision, a non-circumcision, the law of Moses, yada, 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 the law of God, the old covenant, that that wasn't important anymore as a way to be right with God. When I was on the streets with my disciples, but when God had me as a disciple for him on the streets, uh, I, I remember I taught my disciples this. And I, I remember not, not too long ago, there was a Muslim man that we ran up on, and he was at a pizza shop. And, and he was a cook, and he was kind of taking a break. And as we came up to him, I started to speak to him about Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and, and he started talking about how he doesn't like religion. And, and I said, oh, are you a Muslim, or are you a Christian? Or you, oh, no, I don't like religion. I don't like that. So I picked up right away at the idea that, he didn't like to talk about religion. He didn't like to talk about Christianity or Islam because he, he complained about how all, everybody always, all they do is argue. So I said, oh, no worries. I left that part out. And I said, all right, what about Jesus Christ? For, for you see, Jesus Christ, he's like the equalizer. He's not religious, but he, he, he lived a religious life, but he didn't say religion got you to God. And he didn't argue about religion. He argued, argued about the way to God, which of course was through him. And so for this man, as it was an example of this night that we were out on the streets one night, we, I just avoided religion altogether. And you know what? This guy melted at, at this, the love and, and talking about Jesus Christ for, for, again, religion doesn't save people. Only Jesus Christ does. But whenever religion was brought up, he, he started to get intense. He started to get hot. So, hey, don't, don't make the stumbling block an issue. Talk about Christ. 
And so that's what Paul did here. He wasn't playing a hypocrite. He was only playing his grand rule of love, making sure that these people weren't going to get offended before they heard the message that God really wanted them to hear. And after they heard the message, oh, I do see, oh, it's okay. But then it was still, uh, you know, sadly, there's a lot of idols in people's hearts. We all have them. We all have little idols that we have in our hearts. And when somebody comes at them and they want to talk to us about this thing that we've believed for a long time, we'd be like, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. But it's all about how we approach, just like Paul approached here his grand rule of love. I love it. And it's a practice that I think all Christians should practice. It's grand rule of love. Reach for Christ. Don't worry about the stupid things, right? And please... Don't be like those some people who would twist the section of Paul's writings to say, uh, and I'm speaking of 1 Corinthians 9 here, well, if I should become like all kinds of people to win people to Christ, then then I should become an alcoholic, and I should become a drug addict, and and I should become a a wife-beating strip club Christian, right? Hey, I'm supposed to, hey, I become all things to all mankind in order to win some. Well, if you think I'm kidding... I was on the streets and I actually met people that said, well, you know, alcoholics needed Jesus Christ. So, you know, I had to become an alcoholic to reach people for Jesus Christ. And and so I'm not kidding. Uh, Some people believe I can sin it up. I can live all kinds of the sinful ways that I want to because I'm going to do it to reach Jesus Christ. I'm going to do it to reach people for Christ. Well, I've met people who who believe this. Sadly, this couldn't be farther from the truth, my people. And common sense should tell you that. Sadly, some people don't have basic common sense and and that they would use... they would use that they would use their liberty in Christ to commit heinous sins for any reason, even to reach others for Christ. Either A, you either can't read, or B, you're not reading God's word. You don't become the sinner to reach the sinner. That, that is not what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 9.21 should show us this. Paul says this to those who are without law as without law. But then he then he partitions off there, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, meaning I don't become and do as the sinner does to win the sinner. I become and I kind of, I go in among them. Jesus, for crying out loud, ate with the sinners and tax collectors. He didn't eat with them and go off and sell his body for prostitution. And he didn't go off and he didn't do taxes and rip people off in the taxes. He just went in among them, like them, befriending them to a point, not doing what they were doing. As we know, the word of God says that fellowship, what fellowship has light with the darkness. Fellowship meaning doing what they do. We don't do what people do to reach them. And these, sadly, People just twist Paul's words. Peter talked about it in one of his epistles. Uh, Certain people twist Paul's writings. You can do that, but don't. Uh, Romans 6, 15 through 16. I mean, just read the word of God. Really just read the word of God. We don't do sin. We don't practice sin to reach anybody for Christ. What then, Paul says, shall we sin because we are under the law, but under grace? Hey, shall, shall I do and sin with any way I want? And, and you know, because because Christ loves me and because Christ died for me on the cross. And he ends there. Certainly not. 
Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. And 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10 I'm sorry, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor exorcists will enter the kingdom of God. So again, Paul didn't ever say that we or he should become all things, including willful practicing sinners, for God hates sin, to win anyone to Christ or for any reason at all. Uh, those who try to make this case from Paul's 1 Corinthians 9 writings are either not saved or sadly you have fallen from grace. Because again, as I quoted earlier, just quickly, Romans 6.15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. And if you commit willful sin and you practice it lifestyle-wise, no matter whether you've come to the light of Christ or not, and if you do those things for any reason, whether it's trying to win souls for Christ or whether it's trying to do whatever because you think you can, I'm here to tell you you're in big trouble with God and Christ because you're in desperate need of repentance according to the Scriptures. But also, if you don't repent before you die, uh, you will not meet a happy Jehovah. You will not meet a happy Jesus Christ. Just go read Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you come that way, it will send you away to that very unhappy place for all and, and forever, the one that was created for the f- fallen angels and the devil. So, in my clothes now. Does Paul's grand rule of love have any true connection to the ministry of Jesus Christ? And by that do I mean, did Christ teach hey i become all things to all men in order to win some actually yes he did and believe it or not yes he did matthew 17 peter and jesus are having this discussion peter comes to jesus and he says jesus these men came to me and he says where where are you in the teacher's tax and it, they were referring to a temple tax and G, and uh, peter didn't know he said yeah i thought i was free in christ i i didn't know i had to still pay a temple tax and so when he goes to jesus and he tells jesus is about this temple tax and i'm wanting to give him this temple tax jesus said to him in uh matthew 17 26 and 27 jesus said to him the sons are free hey that means we don't we're not obligated to pay the temple tax you're you're free in me nevertheless verse 27 least we offend them Go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So because Peter was his follower, Christ's follower, making Peter and Jesus Christ right in God's eyes, making them God's sons, and even though God's sons didn't have to pay the special religious spiritual temple tax, Jesus Christ told them that since it was a stumbling block to those that had come to him, since it was a stumbling block to those that came to him, pay it because we don't want to offend them. And the reason was Jesus Christ didn't want to do this is because he came to save the lost. And, and if you live life doing things in offense to people, then you are not certainly going to win them for Jesus Christ. Christians, this doesn't mean that we do all that we do, meaning compromising the holy ways that God wants us to live to not offend the lost so that you can't win them 
Jesus Christ I spoke of earlier, but it does mean that we aren't supposed to let the little differences that come up between us and the lost, such huge deals that they become a stumbling block to those that we're trying to reach for Christ. It's a, it's a fine, fine line, but it's one that if you are saved, the Holy Spirit will explain you and help you differentiate between so that you can successfully exhibit Christ and Paul's grand rule of love in order to effectively reach the lost for Christ. Because if you are truly saved, one of your goals should be to reach others for Christ and to pray for others so that they can be saved. Second uh, Peter 3.9, God is not willing or doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Christian, I will leave you with this. What are you trying to do daily to help the lost come to Christ? What are you doing daily? Do you practice Christ and Paul's grand rule of love with the lost? Or do you not have a care? Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that God created you for good works, that you should walk in them. One of those good works he wants you to walk in is to play a part in his working of salvation in people's hearts. You are not the Holy Spirit, but God made good works for you to do, to be grand lights of love for Christ, to be those, his soldiers that go out into the field. Remember Jesus, pray therefore uh, that God would send more laborers into the harvest, for the harvest is so plentiful, but the workers are so, so, so few. God wants us to be workers in his field of salvation, which the field is the world. And the people, well, they're like the little plants in the world. And are they getting choked out or, or are they grown or are they dying or are they, are, you know, are, are they never even beginning to grow? What are you doing as far as Christ and Paul's grand rule of love to win the lost or to reach the lost? Are you praying? Are you being a light to them? Are you reaching them for Christ? What are you doing? This is one of God's wills for your life, Christian. This is one of his wills for your life. He has many, many things he wants you to do, but this one's up there near the top. Remember, God created you for good works, that you should walk in them. And his grand rule of love with the lost says that you should become all things to people in order to win some. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message. And, and thank you, Lord God, that I got to preach it today. Lord God, is uh, that, that's a miracle, Lord God, that I got to preach it today. Thank you so much. And Lord, you know all the details and the circumstances around that, Lord God. Uh, Lord, we, we love you and praise you, Lord God, as your people. And we uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, you continue Lord, to reach out to the harvest of the world, that there's people out there that need you. And Lord God, I pray for those that are listening to me right now, Lord God, if they consider themselves to be yours. I pray, number one, they'd examine their lifestyles to see uh, how they live. If, you know, if they're living in willful sin, Lord God, then they need to repent. If they're living in, in uh, some type of sinful lifestyle, Lord God, where it's a practice of sin, Lord God, then they need to repent. And Lord God, but if they're yours, Lord God, and they earnestly desire to please you every day, God in heaven, then I pray that you would open their hearts to what we just spoke about today, Lord, and that they would literally become all things to all people, not, not in a sinful way, 
But Lord, they'd become all things to all people, just like we saw Paul do, just like we saw Timothy do, just like we saw Christ do with the tax collectors and the sinners. Lord God, that they would literally become all things to all people and be praying for the loss in order to win people to your kingdom. Lord God, because again, you created us for good works. Lord, (laughs) preaching the gospel, sharing Jesus Christ, praying for others, being a part of the work of salvation for people is one of the things that you want your children to be doing. Thank you so much, Lord God. I pray you'd convict right now by your Holy Spirit any of those that are not, and that, Lord, that they would get busy for your kingdom. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.